You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week, we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the roundup, one week of Phyrexia is in the books, and new staples are rising in Modern and Pioneer. We take a look at all of the technology from the first week of play. What worked, what didn't, and what could be the next big thing. All of that and more is coming up. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan, and I'm joined today all the way from Buenos Aires, Argentina. You know him as Mord to Light. It's Emmy Sagasti. Emmy, welcome. Hey yo, how's it going, Dan? Emmy here, better known as Mord online, because for some reason, for the first time in forever, you didn't say known as Cave Dan online. The patterns, Dan, the patterns. I'm gradually trying to shift it because some guy told me that he kept searching for the actual phrase caved in on Caved in online? Well, that'd be an interesting screen name. Like, <laughs> this is digital me. It's like my... <laughs> it's like my persona. Exactly. I've uploaded my, my consciousness into the cyber web. <laughs> if that was on purpose, I love that I caught on it. I love that it was something so common that you got the comment and I caught on the difference. Ah, perfect. It is I, Cave Dan, online. <laughs> How may I be of service? <laughs> Cave Dan online. Ah. If I ever have like a chat GPT version of like this show, maybe we should do that. We should start asking the chat bots, the AI bots, to brew with these cards. <laughs> we just give them the cards, propose a deck list. Yeah. And then we ask them for a three minute script and just fire up. Mm hmm. How are you doing, Mord? How is your week going? All good. A bit more... Getting a bit more on the working side of the community. Now that luckily I got a job offer, but back to rowing now on the weekends. Yeah, you're busy now. Now that I'm actually busy and I can spend the whole day firing gobos against the walls and seeing what sticks. Ah, gobos. Congratulations, though. Thanks so much. But yeah. I haven't had as much time as I wanted to brew, but came ahead with some builds for T-Bar. I'm trying to make a Traxa work, and I'm hitting my head against the wall with some other cards that are just goddamn unplayable, but I want to play. I have already made my Rat deck list. Okay. <laughs> it has beautiful stuff like Call of the Death Dwellers. Oh my god. Really? Of course, I have Crypt Rat. What? <laughs> okay. It's a 4-mana removal spell. Recall the Death Dweller, 2 in a black. Return either one creature or multiple creatures. Total CMC, 3. One gets Death Touch. Yeah, you pay one for a Kibrat and remove everything. Boom. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> it kills all your beautiful rats. Ah, uh, a small price to pay for salvation. Then you just play Coco, Coco Rat and everything is fine. 
So you actually tried to find useful rats for this deck. You didn't just... It's mostly changelings. Say, okay, here's, here's 20 rat colonies and we'll hope for the best. No, no, it's actually a Magda deck, but we have Creep Rat. Gotcha. And Call of the Dweller to get back Magda, plus our uh, Mothra Changeling. And the Rat Overlord, the King of Rats, as the way to get more gas going. Yeah, uh, Karamonix the Rat King, if you're not sure what we're talking about. This is the new Rat Lord from Phyrexia All Will Be One. Pretty sweet card. We'll see if this deck actually pans out. I'm excited hmm. to see how your testing goes. It's just the most insane ringleader we have ever had. Well, when you put it that way, I'm like less excited because ringleader is not that big of a card, but maybe maybe coming from a goblins player like you, that's a high compliment. Yeah, but this is so much bigger than ringleader. Like, one less mana, one more card, a bigger body to boot. It's all upside. <laughs> and of course, rats. And of course, it gets rats! Come on! What else can we point? But today we're not here to talk about rats. We're here to talk about something a lot more magnificent. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got our first full week of results in with Phyrexia All Will Be One. Bunch of tournaments played, mostly online, but some in paper. People trying out all the new cards in both Modern and Pioneer. We're going to take a look at... What happened gets you up to speed on the latest tech. We have some new staples. Dare I say new modern staples? Is that is that fair to say, Mord? They seem to be at least a few of them. We have some cards that seem that they're going to be a straight up upgrade to the modern panorama and are just going to stick to the walls. And we're just going to see them getting played consistently, to say the least. In Pioneer, I'm not ready to call anything a staple yet. I know people have been testing out a lot of stuff. I was playing a bunch of Tivar lists myself. We'll check in on that format as well. So this episode is our weekly roundup, our week one technology. Later in the week, our second show will be our brew session. We've got a spicy one picked out. It's Atraxa Grand Unifier. A true Niv-Mizzet type card. <laughs> a true Niv-Trigger. Flipping 10, the, the grandeur, the showmanship of that. You gotta love that. It's even bugged in the same way that Nivmizit is bugged. It has the exact same bug where it doesn't show exactly what cards you got, which is just lovely. Beautiful. So that's going to be coming up on our Friday episode, and that's also when we'll tell you about some of our testing results. I played a bunch of Tyvar. Saw a lot of people talking about Tyvar. Didn't see a lot of Tyvar in the 5-0s yet, but we'll get into why that might be the case. Yeah, I saw a lot of Tyvar. I didn't. I saw a lot of Tyvar chat. I didn't see a lot of Tyvar winning. Yeah, and that's okay. It's early. There's still time. You can still try and win. So big show, lot to get into. But before we jump into all that, we got a little housekeeping we like to do right at the top, which is to remind you that if you're enjoying this program and would like to support us, the best way to do that is by joining our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Make a pledge at any tier that you like. That gets you immediate access to our wonderful Discord community. We also have other fun perks. Uh, we have some merch. We have tokens. We have beautiful playmats. We have monthly polls. Uh, you get to vote on cards. We've <laughs> been struggling with this Rivaz of the Claw. I think it's almost time for a new card for us to work on. Yeah, Rivas over to the extent via the holidays and such, but eventually we're going to have to let go of the little Viachino warlock. 
I think I'll start gathering nominations as soon as we finish recording this episode. Makes sense. Get your brewing caps on. And we do have three new patrons that we would like to welcome to the Faithless family. They are Edward B., Jeremiah W., and Duran's Hybrid. So thank you. Thank you very much to those individuals, and welcome to the Faithless family. Yeah, thanks so much. Remember, it keeps us going, and we love the appreciation from it. And you also get to show in our amazing Discord. Exactly. All right, Mord, take us into modern. What's new in the people's format? So, in modern, the biggest card to make a lot of waves has been the Mycosynth Gardens. We are yet to be sure if this is a wave of hype or a wave of true progress, but Amulet players are all over it. There is something specific about Amulet, whether that's Amulet players or the way that people talk about Amulet, that makes it very hard to distinguish between hype and reality. Hmm. People fear this deck, justifiably so, it's terrifying, and you feel helpless when they're just going off on you. But one thing that we know is that all versions of Amulet that were published this week were playing four copies of Mycosynth Gardens. Yes. So this is not a question of... You know, will we play one or two? Will it make it into the deck? No, they're saying, yeah, we're absolutely playing four copies of Microsynth Gardens, and the question is just, how do we adjust the deck around the card? Yeah, exactly. You have some weird spicy one-offs, like a Friday's Modern Challenge playing um, Awaken the Woods and still winning. <laughs> Victor debating the Modern Showcase Challenge, which just Colossus and Triasusa main deck. Always for Miko Synth as ways to get a lot of Amulet figures. One thing that really surprised me earlier in the week was the discussion of how to actually accommodate these four colorless lands. Mycosynth Gardens doesn't tap for any colors. So you are gonna have to like remove some colored sources for colorless sources, and that does make it a little bit harder to fit in all of your dryads, your dryad of the Elysian Groves, because those in turn require you to play a Valakut. So some people were saying, okay, the solution to this is to cut all copies of dryad of the Elysian Grove, and we don't have to worry about a Valakut kill at all. The mana base is just cleaner. We have our Urza Saga and our Microsoft Gardens, but then beyond that, it's, it's mostly just bounce lands and the few utility lands that we have to have, like Boseju. Hmm. I don't know like how true that's going to be. I think you can find about half and half right now if you look through the, the, the results from Magic Online. Slightly more than half, we could say, are still playing Dryad of the Elysian Grove, the full four copies. On Twitter, there was some discussion. You know, Dom Harvey was saying maybe the solution is to just play two Dryad of the Elysian Grove. <laughs> like, it's not going to be a bad card. It still helps you get to your Titan in the games where you don't have Amulet. If one thing we, we think is that Microsoft Garden makes the amulet games extremely easy, right? Now, every time you have an amulet, you have a backup amulet, hmm. or two amulets for an immediate yeah. you know, prime time slash cultivator kill. All right, that's good enough. Let's just focus on the other games, the other games where you don't have access to the amulet. And for that, Dryad is one of the better cards. Yeah. I think the biggest issue with the Dryad is not the Dryad itself, but how much damage it does to the Balakut, that besides playing the 8 colorless land and the blue Tolarias, you're also playing 2 Balakuts. And it's a matter of, can we afford that to play Dryad? You always want Dryad, you don't always want Balakuts in your deck. 
Yeah, maybe that's a better way of putting it, right? It is a, it's the Valka question less than the Dryad question, because even the decks that are cutting Dryad, they're still compensating by going up to like four copies of Azusa. Yeah, exactly. It's more of a matter, if I can run Balakut, I will play Dryad because I want to play Dryad. But can I play Balakut? Another question was, will people adopt this strange new card, Green Sun's Twilight? And this, I think the answer is no, but there were some results, mostly from the softer events like the, the Friday League Dump, where people had put two or sometimes three copies of Green Sun's Twilight into their Amulet Titan decks and were able to find success with that. Yeah. I don't think that this is going to be like a, a long-term inclusion. I think people have people tried it and perhaps realized that what we need is more consistency, not less. We don't need to put <laughs> a bad collector company that gets lands. Yeah, the, the flora on this card is so bad. Like it invites you to just put in all of your mana and you could get literally nothing out of it. Hmm. And because why not? If your deck is broken, you can play whatever card you want. I think Awaken the Woods, clearly stronger than Green Sun's Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the new meta. Awaken the Woods meta. That's where we have arrived. But because it's Gardens isn't the only card making some serious waves in modern. Yeah, I mean, for all that we talk about Mikasynth Gardens and Amulet, the deck didn't really do that well. Like, it didn't dominate, or it didn't even really show up in great numbers in the showcase challenges that happened over the weekend. Why is that? Is that because people were gunning for this deck? Or is it the case that it, there's just too much hype? I think they both lined up. Like, it was mostly, like, there was hype for it, and also, not only where there was hype for Mill, there's a lot of Titan. And that's bound to, of course, make Mill players just roll over themselves. Yeah, so that's the second deck that's adopting a, a new staple for Modern. So Demir Mill picking up full four copies of Jace the Perfected Mind. I gather from what you're saying, more that Mill has a beautiful matchup against Titan. Yeah, yeah. When we when you talk beautiful, it's like one of the best, like eighty twenty. So why is that? Just out of curiosity. Uh, mill ten, stretch got a Titan, stretch my hand, game two. <laughs> Worst case scenario, you get a turn two Titan, but I, but I mill your hand that your land that provided haste, so your clock is super slow. Okay, so it's not fixable by just adding Emrakul to my Titan deck. No, no, no. The surgical effects are devastating as well. You have at most three threats, and they're all relying on resolving a Titan to get going, or having a Colossus plus a lot of spare mana. Something like turn one, mill you, play a crab, you go turn one, nothing, opponent goes turn one, mill you for six, surgical and amulet, game over. You mill any of your strong cards and you lose the game. I'm wondering now if like, when I'm playing my crab vine deck against Titan, I should focus more on milling them. I guess without a surgical, it's not worth it. I mean, if you have surgicals and two, with two crabs and a surgical, I would just mill them into Oblivion. I don't usually play a surgical. I know this is like a, <laughs> I'm like a single issue voter. I'm like, that's all good, good advice. But what does it mean for crab vine? I mean, yeah, I get what you mean. I, I can see what you mean, but how does this impact the vine? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But for everyone else who is not a crab vine player. What do we make of this new version of Demir Mill, and specifically the inclusion of four copies of Jace? Yeah, the four copies... I played against Mill yesterday, and Chase was amazing at being annoying. 
it just went plus one, plus one, minus two. Like it just stopped my attackers for two turns and then proceeded to draw three cards before going out. So that's like a, a unique thing that Mill didn't really have access to that before. They didn't have any efficient two for ones that played to the board live. And their only two for one was the draw three. Visions of Beyond. I guess during the Luris days, they, they would occasionally get a Luris after you, if you focus too hard on stopping yourself from getting milled, you might just randomly lose to Luris. Is Jace kind of like that? Yeah. Like if you, if you forget to bring something for Jace? Not quite. It's more of a super annoying if, you're, if it's a hit. Like if the mill player is able to develop a Jace on a semi-empty board, it's going to mill you for like 20 cards. Or draw them like three or five or four cards. Yeah, that makes sense. So the question for me was, okay, if we think Jace is good for the deck, you have to cut a card to add a card. They're adding four copies of Jace, so what are you cutting? We're definitely not cutting the crabs, right? The Hedron Crab, the Rune Crab, those are locks. And it looks like people consider Fractured Sanity, Tasha's Hideous Laughter, Archive Trap, Drawn with a lock and Visions of Beyond to be locks, right? So that's that's 20 cards you have to play. So it's really just a question of, I mean, am I going to cut my surgical effects? Am I going to trim on one mana removal? I think we're all going to still play four Fatal Push, but some mill versions that were not including Jace, uh, they just played like extra removal. They played like a couple Blood Chief's Thirst and Surgical Extractions, whereas some of the Jace versions didn't play any Surgical Effects main deck. That's weird, it doesn't. They tend to do at least a few. Yeah, I guess it's like a hedge if you feel like you know what your deck is. Like, for example, you have this. The one that's playing Zero Chase is running four Surgical. And one of the versions with Chase that went 28 in the challenge was also running four Surgical. There are other cards you might occasionally see, like... Uh... You know, Mesmeric Orb is not unheard of. Uh, I see a Murderous Cut in one of these decks. Yeah. Those are the flex slots, basically. Like, how many Surgical Effects, how much Spot Removal, or Supplemental Mill. Yeah, and when they have Zero Surgical in the main deck, they have at least five copies in the sideboard alongside Extirpate. Mm-hmm. So, just as a modern player, Mord, how do you feel about Mill? Like, <laughs> Mill being a larger presence in the metagame? Um, I hate Mill because for Goblins it's an unwinnable matchup, but I just don't hate the archetype as much as most people. I just feel like it's bad burn, and I just deal with the fact it's bad burn. Okay. So keep your emotions in check, just seeing your cards get milled away or exiled away. You're just like, well, whatever. I, I, I don't feel any anger. I don't feel any effect at seeing my cards get milled, because I know I wouldn't have drawn them regardless. Like, it's just statistical. So I disregard it. Cool, calculated, moored online. <laughs> He's a machine playing modern. You can look at me online as cool and calculated moored online. All a single word, no hashtags. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's it's just burn at this point. It's blue burn. It used to be a more expensive burn deck. I mean, yeah, I guess these cards do cost more mana than burn, but that's basically all it is. Do you advise that people should play an Emrakul in their sideboards, or are we not at that point yet? I have a Gaia's Blessing in my sideboard starting two days ago, so I think you do. I think there's a good argument to have an anti-mill card in your sideboard, at least for the following weeks, because if there's a Titan hype, you can always expect mill players to play mill. 
Meal players love playing meal. They just need an excuse. Yeah, and the old wisdom that, oh, you can just beat meal with one sideboard slot, that's, that's not as true as it used to be because of Tasha's hideous laughter. Like, if their Tasha's happens to hit your blessing, it's almost like you didn't have a blessing in your deck at all. Um, Emrakul at least absorbs the Tasha's, but... Yeah. Yeah. So just be aware of that. You still need to actually kill them. <laughs> Don't take too long to kill the mill player. Yeah, yeah. With goblins, it just takes you one turn too long in general. So if it can buy you half a turn, one full turn, it tends to be enough for you to swing. But that's why you just bring in one of those effects. All right. So between Microsoft Gardens and Amulet and Jace and Mill, those are the new cards that you should add to your modern box if, you, if you're a completist or something. What about everything else? We talked about so many cards in our previous shows. Did any of them make an impact on like the rest of the metagame? Well, we have a one of Skrell being grinding station for some ungodly forsaken reason. <laughs> yeah, I think at this point, I was not convinced by any of these other appearances. I just included them as possibilities. I think people are testing out what if my meta deck, my tier deck, can make use of one or two copies of this random card. Skrelv in Jeskai Breach, it made sense to me when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's right. I mean, it protects Emery and it's an artifact for Emery. It's a mana for your Mox Amber. That is enough for a one-drop, right? The, the bar is not that high for a one-drop to clear, so sure, why not? Hmm. But, you know, it was only a couple Breach players were playing Skrelv. I think most of the more successful lists did not play it. What did surprise me the most, though is the Atraxa in the showcase winning modern qualifier. Yeah. Because it's not in any deck list, it's a one of Atraxa in creativity in the deck that won the modern showcase. A little preview of our attractive discussion coming up, but if you put Atraxa into a creativity deck, what happens? Well, it means that every time you resolve creativity you're not necessarily getting an Archon of Cruelty. Like this list from Manohito, MTGO player, at four Archons and one Atraxa. Let's say they go creativity x equals two. You're, you're either getting two Archons or you're getting one Archon, one Atraxa. If you do creativity for one, you might not get an Archon at all. Yeah. What do you make of this? Like, I keep seeing pictures of Atraxa. Like, yesterday I saw this picture of in Vintage and Atraxa getting Black Lotus Omniscience, Show and Tell, Mental Misstep, Boseishu, Oko, Anatraxa. Like, its own trigger <laughs> got a Show and Tell that cast... It got a Show and Tell to put an Omniscience to cast Anatraxa and protect itself all by itself. And that's one of the most insane things I have ever seen a car do. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's kind of nuts. Is something like that possible in modern? Well, let's just look at creativity. When you put your attracts into play, uh, this build has eight enchantments. It's got Fable, it's got Leyline, it's got a good number of instants, Lightning Bolts, Spell Pierce. I would like to see the number of that. What's the chance of finding one enchantment? Because if it's like over 70%, that's insane. So like eight, ten... Yeah, yeah it's, it's very high, Yeah, I think, in this build. I mean, this build has four Ren and six, so you got Planeswalkers. It has five Sorceries for Creativity, one Persist. And looks like 13 instants, 5 creatures. Although you don't really want the creatures in your hand. Yeah, you're at 80% to find an enchantment. 
this has plenty of card types. And we were saying during our preview shows that you don't need to do that much deck building, if any, to accommodate Atraxa. Yeah, looking at the amount of sorcery splats. So this is like borderline guaranteed to be a 7-7 lifelink that draws you an enchantment, an instant, a planeswalker or a sorcery, and a land. So it's going to be a 7-7 flying vision as death touch lifelink, draw three spells and a land, which is an insane amount of value. Because there's non-easy ways to kill a 7-7 lifelinker for a lot of decks. Yeah, so I feel like I don't need to be persuaded that Atraxa is powerful. I just need to be persuaded that when you resolve creativity, you don't just want Archon every time. I'm wondering if a few things are possible. Theory number one is that this player, Manohito, just concluded that Atraxa is good enough that I sometimes want Atraxa. It's like it's more powerful than Archon. Theory number two is that they're specifically worried about Orvar the All Form. Atraxa does not screw you against Orvar the way that Archon does. Theory number three is that maybe they just saw this Mill versus Titan grudge match and were like, I'm not playing into a surgical meta with just four Archons. I need yeah. an extra threat. And they went for the spicy one-offs there that might carry their ass. I think this is one of the few creativity decks that really did well in, in the big events. So maybe that is like a, a little metagame call there. Don't get surgical to <laughs> keep an extra threat in the deck. Although I don't know if this actually beats Mill. I can see that. And the deck list, either the player was amazing or the deck list kind of worked. So. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll have plenty more to say about Atraxa in our brew session with Atraxa. So we can leave it at that for now. Yeah, following that, we have Kemba in Hammer Time, which there I think it's just a mistake. <laughs> that one I think it's just memeing. Yeah, yeah, Kemba isn't great. I mean, in Pioneer it is, and the Pioneer cut deck list is super fun, but that's... Yeah, I was not super persuaded by the Kemba here. It's like a bad core outfitter. I saw another player uh, had put Nahiri, the Unforgiving into their Hammer Time deck as well. Again, this felt more just like, yeah, let's just put a couple copies in. I, I don't know how much the Nahiri did. A card that surprised me was seeing Shaildred's Edict, a four of in a Rakdos scam deck. This was from the Modern Showcase Challenge, so a high finishing deck list from Cristiano7. They just played four Shadow Edicts, main deck. Yeah. And it never occurred to me that this card was actually so desirable that you would want a bunch of copies in your main deck. What's the thought process here? I mean, it's an amazing removal spell. In Pioneer, it's just changing the UE, the Dimir deck to, for it to be a lot better. It's a quality card. There are not many ways for, to instantly to instant speed remove a Planeswalker in Magic. So in Pioneer... I could picture, okay, Demir Control, I think that's one of the deck lists that someone like Nassif was doing well with this week. But we're talking about Modern here. A two-mana removal spell in Modern, four copies? That's that's a surprise to me. Like, they're not playing any Fatal Push. They're playing two Lightning Bolt, three Thoughtseize, one K Command, four Shieldred's Edict, and then, of course, your your four Furies. Four Shieldred's Edict might be a tad too much, but it wouldn't surprise me to see, like, a two of Edict in a lot of deck lists. As a way to answer threats, it can kill a Mortar, it can kill a Planeswalker. Hmm. The fact that you can choose to sacrifice a non-token creature is huge when compared to other edicts. So you feel like Modern is a format where 
there are like huge creatures that you might be facing down, whether that's a Merc type, whether that's, um, I mean, I guess a prime time, you're probably going to lose that matchup if that's happened. Hmm. <laughs> Same with an Archon. Like this, this kills an Archon, though I don't know if that you're going to win that game. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it's just the right size of effect. Like it's cheap enough, but also big enough in what it can kill for this particular Rakdos deck. Yeah. I think in this one it was just a sneaky surprise and it won, but because the rest of the deck is still insane. Like, I don't care what removal of choice you have if you go turn one Grief. Right? Turn one Scum Grief, the rest is irrelevant. Yeah. Maybe that's all it is. <laughs> uh, congrats to Cristiano7 on the results, nevertheless. Yeah. Then after that, we have some... So I just found the post by the Atraxa winner and the Atraxa showcase winner and it's in Japanese, but if you translate to it, it literally says Atraxa is your imagination. <laughs> I have no idea what that's trying to go, but it's saying so many things with so less clarity. Atraxa is your imagination. I love that. <laughs> A good motto, a good slogan for the card. The only loss was to walls on round two. What? Okay. But yeah, just a track size your imagination is perfect. Could not have said it better. <laughs> I would love to know what that means. I would love to know. <laughs> what it's trying to say, if only we could. From there, we have some beautiful spies in Nahidi in a mini scam Maru, more of a Maru grinding shell. Yeah, so I had not actually seen this particular collection of Mardu cars. I, I don't know if we call this like a fresh brew or if this is um, an archetype that's existed before. It has the fury and the grief, but instead of focusing on Malakir rebirth and feign death and that sort of stuff, it's instead just saying, okay, ephemerates just ephemerates, and then playing a lot of two-mana creatures. It's playing three Blood Tithe Harvesters, three Tide Hollow Skullers, three Seasoned Pyromancers, two Archon of Cruelty, three Solitude, three Fury, four Grief. It's got your cardboard. It's got brought back two copies, three copies of Persist. It's got two Fable of the Mirror Breakers, two Showdown of the Skulls, and two of the new Planeswalker, Nahiri the Unforgiving. This list is so freaking weird, but it's sort of something I wanted to do, playing a Maru shell with Shodan of the Skulls and Elish Norn. But this list has super top-notch quality interactions like Archon of Cruelty plus Persist, and then you have Tide Hollow Schooler plus Broadback and Blood Tide Harvester, because why? Why or why not, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> or why not? If, if you could do that, why wouldn't you? The Scholar surprised me. I don't quite understand why there's Taiholo Scholar here. But I guess that's a good... I mean, it's a decent ephemerate target. It's not a great ephemerate target. Super weird, at least. Glad it got a decent result. I want to play something like this. I'm sure the numbers are not correct. So this comes from MTGO player Chomusukeon. Top 32 in one of the modern challenges this weekend, not the showcase challenges. This was just a, a regular modern challenge. This is the, the modern challenge 32 is the Friday night one or the Saturday night one, which are like the super easy challenges. Those are the challenges to top 32 with a 3-3 or a 4-3. A friendly challenge. So it looks like this was a 4-2 and two result. So 
something. It's something. Yeah, exactly. This is a challenge for like 70 or 80 players. But let's talk about what Nahiri is doing in this deck, because that's the new card. Yeah. This build is taking advantage of every part of Nahiri in exactly the way that you predicted uh, when you were hyping the card up. So you have the option to play Nahiri as a 3-mana, three 3-loyalty three walker, or a 4-mana, 5-loyalty yeah. walker. Does that make a difference? It depends on what kind of creatures you're playing. Yeah. Here it's amazing with Blood Tide Harvester, which is an introduction I had only discussed a few days ago with a friend in Pioneer. But turn two Harvester, it's like turn three Nahiri, you get it back, your opponent's creature get a spare blood, and Nahiri is still at three counters, and you use it as a removal spell. That's insanely value. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful start. I liked the idea of, okay, Blood Tide Harvester into Tyvar. You can do the exact same thing with Nahiri, uh, if you want to go into Mardu colors. Now, the difference is that you only get that Blood Tithe for one turn. So you better have something to kill, <laughs> but you'll keep the blood. And I think the biggest difference is that Nahiri you can cast for four mana and get back Season Pyromancer or Grief. Turn one, Scamio with a Grief. Turn two, um, Playtide Hollow. Turn three or four, once you kill my Grief, I can four mana Nahiri get it back. Yeah, and still have a five loyalty planeswalker in play after yeah. you do that. So that means you're only one uptick away from getting Fury and Solitude back if you decide to go that route. Exactly. And the plus one isn't hideous. You have a plus one that forces an opponent creature to make a bad attack or attack you in order to protect itself. Like your opponent only has one creature, it means Nahiri gets to six pretty comfortably. And worst case scenario, it's a looting effect for your archons and such. This is a sweet build. I do wonder if it's trying to do slightly too many things. Like, maybe the Archons is just a, a bridge too far, but that package of Archon and Persist is taking up, like, more of the deck than I would want for a deck that's also trying to play Showdown of the Skulls. I mean, it plays Showdown of the Skulls and brought back. How can I say no to the list, right? <laughs> I'm a simple man with simple taste. But yeah, I can see myself adding four brought back um, four ending, taking out the persistent archons, playing three showdown, and just maximizing my 12 pitch elementals. The problem is super annoying for the mana cost, but the four blood tide force color really helps for the pitch elementals. It is a surprisingly great card. I mean, that, that would be like creature of the year for <laughs> whatever setting. Was that uh, last year? Or was that technically the year before? On what? Blood tide harvester. I just love that card so much. Format-defining creature in Pioneer, but sure, it's good enough for modern. Why not? <laughs> good enough for modern. I mean, this is the first time I will actually play like that Harvester in my life because I have never played Ragdos in Pioneer. But it's going to be exciting. All right, so from there, with the rest of these lists, I look at them, I don't see much here that's going to stick around. I think we're mainly looking at experimental copies. No, I think... We have some slight might stick, like minor misstep as a two of or three of instead of a full playset. In Murktide? Yeah, in Murktide or in Control. I mean, I did not see very many Murktide lists running the minor misstep. I saw one result from the grinder Medvedev was playing the full four copies of minor misstep main deck. But most of the Murktide decks were just like, we'll just play a more stock Murktide and beat up on the Titan players. For me, that's an open question. Like, 
I have not tested this myself, but the chatter I was seeing was suggesting that you should not play minor misstep. Yeah. But besides the minor misstep and maybe some Mercurial Spell Dancer, if I'm wrong, I don't think it will see much play. So the Legacy players were testing this card heavily. I mean, it was one of the more expensive rares in the set for the first couple of days online. I don't know what their verdict was. I, I don't think this has anything to do with Modern, though. I, I still think it's not really a consideration for Modern. I mean, the card is insanely powerful, but there's so much removal in the format. Even still, I don't think it will see much hope. But to manage one unblockable, allowing you to double a spell every turn, is insane. I wouldn't call it insane. I would, I would say it's, it's like pretty good in the same way that Dreadheart Arcanus is pretty good, but you're probably still going to lose. It's a 2-1. In a Ren and Six format, you just can't do that. It's not realistic. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully there's some lists trying it around and they will get some luck du doubling express iterations and I hope they will stick because I love the card and it's a fun one. I do want to give a special shout out to one last modern deck, and this comes to us from X-File, who's Felix Slew. Managed to get uh, top 16 in this uh, Friday modern challenge, the friendly challenge, as Ward was saying. This was one of the few decks that, while it's playing regular modern cards, it actually seemed to like really be testing out two new cards, Skrelv and Melkator. So it's a Boros deck for the most part. I guess we could call it Boros Stoneblade. You know, it's got Ragavan, Esper Sentinel, and Stoneforge Mystic. But in addition to that, X-File is saying, all right, I want all four copies of Skrill of Defector Might. This is, you know, my, my legendary hmm. artifact, Giver of Runes, that's supporting two Mox Ambers alongside the Ragavans. And not only that, but X-File splashing into blue just for two copies of Melkator Purity Overseer. This is one blue-white for the 1-1 one, one legendary Phyrexian Elephant Wizard who brings a golem. And in this deck, can easily make another golem every turn, or at least every few turns. You need to have three artifacts enter the battlefield uh, during a single turn for that to happen. I mean, turn three, you go Drastil Cyradel, Malkator, plus Menmite, Thopter, Moxumber, or start with a Springleaf Drum, and that's already three. So yeah, help me understand this, because the cards I mentioned, Esper Sentinel, Ragavan, Skrill, Stoneforge Mystic, it would not occur to me to then go, all right, I also want four Ornithopters, two Menmites. We're not really playing affinity payoffs. I think those are in there to support Ursa Saga, to get huge construct out of Saga, to make more go goblins out of Malkator, to get Metalcraft for Galblast, Nerlseist. I think they are playing a support role. The one I landed in the cyborg destroyed me psychologically. It has caused some heavy damage on me. It's a toll that I have to, <laughs> it's a burden that I carry on my life, noticing that island on the sideboard. Well, once they see how much you rely on Urza's Slugger, they're, they're going to bring in Blood Moon, and then you need to be able to cast Malkator. There's even extra Malkator on the sideboard. You need more Malkators. I just, I don't quite, I don't quite believe that this is possible, but they, they did very well. They went five and two. They're playing two Ambers, three Springleaf Drums, and all these zero drops. What are they spending their mana on? There's almost nothing expensive in the deck, except for Urza's Slugger as a mana sink, and, you know, if you want to be moving your Nettlesist around. That's it. Like, 
PS4 Galvanic Blast. I don't know. To me, I would say you'd have more mana than you can actually use and not enough firepower, but I guess I'm mistaken because the deck did very well. Yeah, it's uh, I can't explain most of it if you ask me. <laughs> this seems like the delirium of a madman that actually worked. And he was as surprised as we are. Kudos to X-File on the results. And for me, this is my pick of the week. A, a true brew in modern. A true brew. Which is rare these days. I mean, he's also the guy that created the, the Temur Murtide from like November that was playing Lesser Shredder, Counterspell, Endurances, Bale of Summer in the main deck for a few weeks. I must have missed that one. Yeah, this was the guy behind that chaos. Brennan Six and Murtide in the same deck. All right. Well, that's modern being modern. Let's take a break from modern before we close things out. Let's jump over to Pioneer and see what's happening in Pioneer. Of course. And in Pioneer, what do we have besides a lot of decks in the league dump? That was encouraging. 42 decks in the Pioneer league dump from earlier this week. Not a huge number of players in the league. I think when I was testing this week, there were usually about 300 players in the league at any one time, which is enough that it was firing. Saw a lot of nice variety, a lot lot of people trying different stuff, but the format is certainly less popular overall than modern, which is a shame because Pioneer is actually pretty cool. And I should mention before I forget that the Pioneer Pro Tour is this weekend. So mark your calendars, watch some coverage, leave them some feedback, let them know that you're there, that you exist, that competitive players still exist (laughs) and are still interested in tournaments uh, before they take it away again. Clearly. Looking at the results from Pioneer, I I don't think I put anything in the staples category. I actually struggled to find lists that looked like they had staying power. I struggled to find lists that were incorporating new cards in a way that felt like a permanent change to me. But that being said... There were plenty of brews, plenty of people trying out new cars in, in fun-looking brews, or just, you know, experimenting with... <laughs> with, with what we had. You know, let, let's see what happens when I put Spell Dancer in my Phoenix deck. I actually found a decklist that brought me into Pioneer that was playing mostly new cards. Oh yeah? Tell me about it. I am the Mono-White Georgian midrange, playing four Ossification, two Elish Norns, and four of the new Wanderer. Oh, the uh, six-mana Wanderer. Yeah. Yeah, that deck kicked the tar out of me yesterday. That is a deck that is playing a lot of new cards. Maybe we should amend that statement. I guess I just didn't consider that a meta deck, but maybe if it turns out to be very good, I mean, that's going to be on the strength of some of these new cards for sure. So, ossification. I wasn't that persuaded by it when David was promoting this as like the, the next big thing, but it was very impressive when I played against it. Kills anything. All you have to do is have a single basic planes or basic land of any type, but planes in this case. Kill something, and then because of Yorian, you can just change the target later in the game. Yeah. Just a good card. LS Norn, I mean, this is this is the question, right? Like, how good is LS Norn? In our last show, David proposed a list where he was saying, yeah, LS Norn is good enough that I just need to get it into play, and I will probably win the game. We have a 5-0 from uh, one of our brewers on our Discord, DJeffMTG, with his own take on White Green Elish Norn. He built a Yorian version. David should probably have also built a Yorian version. He just doesn't as, as a rule of thumb. 
every single decklist should be a Yorion version, but people yet fail to see that. But they will. They will. So if I look at DGF MTG's version, uh, this is from the February 9th uh, 5 lists, he's doing like a quicker build of the ramp. Yeah. Right, and I actually, I like this quite a lot. He's got Elvish Mystic and Landmore Elves, whereas in, in David's list, it was more of like a slower, okay, I'll get my Topiary Stomper and my Prosperous and Keeper, my Kiora down. DJ's going to get a little bit quicker out of the gate with the turn one Elvish Mystic. A lot more on two. Charming Prince, Gala Greeters, Prosperous and Keeper. On three mana, Skyclave Apparition. Four LS Norn, uh, four Combat Thresher. That's a nice little three drop. <laughs> Little Faith is Brewing favorite there. A sneaky seed drop alongside a Skyclave. Mm-hmm. Uh, your portable hole for removal. Touch the Spirit Realm. Uh, great find there, right? Dual purpose, removal or blink. For Asika's Chariot. And then, of course, the Yorian in the sideboard to put it all away. The Yorian to keep everything together. Then the usual Eternal Wonder in the sideboard because the card is insane in these shenanigans. So tell me about the Eternal Wanderer, the new Planeswalker, right? Six mana. The one time this was cast against me, this just like completely wrecked my board. So it's six mana. The plus one is either a protection ability or a removal or a blink effect because it removes something until the owner sends step so you can blink your own creature. What happened to me a lot was I beat Monogreen Devotion just by looping Wanderer plus Yorion. Excel my Yorion gets back on end step, exile all my boards so it returns on my ends and my opponent's step so they can't attack my blades walkers or anything. Eternal Wonder and um, the four mana wonder comes back as well, so she can make a chuch on my opponent's end step and tap with a counter on a creature or remove something with a minus two. Eternal Wonder blink Yorion again and just keep bouncing my whole board. That's disgusting. <laughs> but there is also the fact it's a six mana wrath effect attached to a planeswalker because you can just go minus four, make your opponent keep a one one that you gave them with Skyclave Apparition, and you get to keep a Yorion. So a minus four for each player, you choose a creature that player controls, and then they have to sacrifice all other creatures that were not chosen. So you give them their worst creature, you keep your best creature. That only costs four loyalty, so you'll still have Eternal Wonder in play after you do this. After you do this ultimate, if we can call it that. Yeah. Leaving the opponent with a creature sounds like, oh, that, I, that's not so good. I don't want to do that. But I was impressed. Right? This usually wins the game. You choose the creature is the issue. The fact that most of the time this is a each player selects creatures and they only keep one. No, no. This time... You keep which player control which creature each player controls, and that's huge. You can keep them. You always make them keep the worst creature. So I think I was initially imagining this in like okay, in blue white control, I'm not going to have a creature, so it's like a really bad farewell type effect. But okay, who says you're playing blue white control? This this deck here, yeah, and I think similarly the mono white Nikthos deck is going to have plenty of creatures to choose from. You're gonna. You're going to have a creature in play when you do Eternal Wanderer. You're going to have the better board afterwards. You're going to have two threats against half a threat after you do this play. Hmm. Yeah, you have to, I think you have to be able to exploit the plus one efficiently, and that requires Yorion or Amazing ETVs or something like Elish Norman board. And then the Wanderer is insane, because you just start adding up choo-choo double strikers as you make value and just go off. Settle the Wreckage was insane for me. The one thing you lose by going green, which was amazing for me, was ossification. 
I mean, it's possible that you can still play ossification. Like you don't, I haven't done the numbers, but no, no, no. You only need one, right? You only need one basic. Yeah, but six is nowhere near enough. Like I was playing sixteen basics almost mm-hmm. in mono white, and I love that you have a one-off staple from my past. This is a card that I used to play in my first modern deck, like in the first deck I ever brewed. Can you guess which card from here was in my first build ever in Magic? Incredibly, it's not a creature in Celestia by Dishev. He has a one-off card that was in my first ever brew or egg I ever built for Modern. No, I have no idea. <laughs> what would that be? Grove of the Guardian. Grove of the Guardian? What the heck is this? Land taps for colorless. It's from Ravnica Allegiance? No, no, this is like original Ravnica. Oh, original Ravnica. Okay, three green-white tap and tap two untapped creatures you control and sacrifice Grove of the Guardian. Put an 8-8 green and white elemental creature token with vigilance onto the battlefield. Oh, this is even before they had create a token as a template. Yeah, yeah, this is old. (laughs) This is old. Wow. Okay. But this was in my first deck, so I just have some sort of fondness to it. So now I have to play it. Screw you, chef. Hope you're hearing it. Amazing. Okay, that's that's pretty sweet. So congrats to DJF on the 5-0. And yeah, I mean, this is one of the more promising developments in the metagame is what if Elish Norn turns out to be just an absolute powerhouse. I have also heard a bit. Maybe then you will be able to tell me a bit more about it because I have only heard from it, but I haven't done my research about a new Rakdos sacrifice deck. People are talking about a new development in Rakdos Sacking Pioneer. I did not hear about this, so you'll have to fill me in. No, I have no idea. I'm literally asking to fill me in. Let me now let me do my research then. <laughs> okay. Do the research, here we go. Well, I have a couple of Rakdos Sacrifice decks in our notes here because they were picking up some new cards, although I, I wouldn't necessarily call them new builds. One of them was a pretty stock Rakdos sec, just playing copies of Annihilating Glare. This is kind of a slightly improved version of Eaten Alive. It is gentler on the black when you pay full price, but it, more importantly, it lets you sack an artifact to get the uh, removal effect. It does not exile, so that's the trade-off. Mm. Uh, the second version that was also playing Annihilating Glare, just one copy, was a little bit different. It was playing four copies of this really, really interesting goblin, uh, Exuberant Fusling. Single red mana, Zero one trample comes in with one oil counter and picks up additional oil counters whenever another creature or artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield. So you sack a treasure, you get an oil counter. You uh, call to familiar die, you get an oil counter. Every time you go through the cat oven cycle, yeah. the exuberant fusling gets more and more threatening. It's huge. And it has trample. So a one one trample that can quickly get up to three, five, six power. It's very promising. I mean, it makes sense in this shell. I'm, I'm not sure that Rakdosek is interested in, in a 1-mana in a 6-1 trample, but it's amazing that it has this option. It's a 1-mana 6-1 trample. It doesn't go with the deck, but sometimes it's so efficient, you just can't say no to it. They were comparing this uh, on Arena Decklist to Ravenous Squirrel, which is not legal in Pioneer, but if it were legal in Pioneer... It would be a very impressive card. Now, the Fusling is going to be brittle, right? It's, it's never going to get more than one toughness, but much better at dealing damage because of that Trample Clause. 
Okay. Good old Trumbull. What I've seen in Pioneer is no new decks, at least. Like, I, I have seen some changes to usual deck lists, but I'm not seeing nothing that surprises me as new, right? In Modern, I haven't seen a 5 or yet, but I have seen a lot of rules regarding the... What's the name of him? The Rod Priest? A lot of people trying it. Zero copies published, so... I mean, this, this is the question, right? I, everything we've said so far is decks that actually happened. Yeah. That actually did well enough to get themselves published. Will it get published? We'll never know. There's more, right? There, there was more hype than this. We were definitely expecting to see a lot of people testing the Rob Priest, and that definitely happened. None of them achieved a 5-0. I saw a lot of Rob Priest in Pioneer, actually, people trying just like a green-white heroic slash toxic hybrid with um, not only the Rob Priest, but the other random toxic creatures like the crawling chorus and the jawbone duelist, the double strike toxic creature. They were playing uh, like homestead courage for like two targets out of one card. It was interesting. I don't know if it was better than Boros heroic, but um, it was cool. <laughs> it was some cool newity. What do you think happened to the Rob Priest decks? I think they're just too weak to removal, right? They're not doing something powerful enough to afford being that weak to removal spell. Hmm. Like, you're doing something powerful, but the downside of just losing to your pack triggers if your opponent interacts can be devastating. Right, that is the way to stop the combo. You let them do all their thing, let them cast their summoner's pact, then when they attempt to cast their ground rift or their grip shot, Storm actually is a distinct trigger. Before the copies are made, Storm itself goes onto the stack. And that's your window to destroy the Raw Priest so that uh, you won't get all these random poison counters and then your opponent will die because they somewhat respected. <laughs> that's the issue for now. Maybe something will pop up, but I think we will only have to wait for a new development. Caleb Shader is back, which is a return from the Storm King who's trying to make waves with exactly that build. Oh, I found the I found the Rakdos sec oh. that you were talking about. Okay, I, I had it lower in the list here. So the new build of Rakdos sec, this is the one with Gleeful Demolition. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah. Okay. Gleeful Demolition. We like this card, right? Single red sorcery. Of course. Artifact. If it was yours, you get goblins. Goblins. You can put that into a deck that has Experimental Synth, that has Oni Cult Anvil, that has Deadly Dispute, and blood tokens. Well, they're an Epicure Blood Tithe Harvester. Beyond that, um, I mean, you'd love to play Galvanic Blast, but in Pioneer you don't have that. But you do have Shrapnel Blast. That's maybe good enough. Another way to sacrifice your Synth. You're not quite at critical mass of disposable artifacts yet, so for a Mishra's Research Desk comes in to be, you know, a bunch of copies of artifacts and just additional grind, right? Yeah. Interesting to me, like, the Demolition... I would not think to put Demolition into a attrition-style deck like this. I think this deck would take a long time to kill someone. And yes, I mean, I, I can see why I want to sacrifice artifacts. I can see why it's nice to have three goblins. But three goblins are like a luxury. I don't think you'd need them per se, right? So a build here I'm looking at from Magic Online player Scipios. What are they doing with the goblins? Well, you can sack it to Deadly Dispute. There's three copies of Meat Hook Massacre here, so your goblins will drain your opponent when they die. 
There's two copies of Vran Executioner Thane. Now this is very interesting. It's like the double blood artist effect. So this this does a two-point dream when your goblin token dies. But that's pretty much it, right? I don't know like how much the Gleeful Demolition is doing for the build. I'm not sure if it's doing enough for the build, but I, I love the aggression it provides. Also the brand, it's super good. I think it adds up super fast, even if it's only once per turn. Can happen once on your turn, once on their turn. Exactly. Uh, although this this is not playing the cat oven. I think when David was promoting this card, he was envisioning that you would at least be playing culture familiars that you could you know ensure that it happens on their turn and your turn. This deck is not doing that. This is just saying, all right, fair enough. I'll use Oni Cult Anvil on my turn and I'll block on your turn. If only that card hadn't be, been capped at once per turn, but it would have been insane. The best blood artist effect in history. But it's super easy to make it once and once and return with stuff like Oni Cult Anvil, right? Well, let's see. I guess the Oni Cult doesn't have any artifact creatures, so maybe I misspoke. This can only sack proper artifacts so yeah i guess you just have to use oni cult on opponent's turn gleeful demolition on my turn go 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 keep making one ones keep making artifacts yeah i mean we'll see we'll see i think the the more common version of the gleeful demolition rack sack did not play vran so we'll see i'm surprised if rex and goblins are not artifacts why would a goblin be an artifact because it's a phyrexian and sometimes phyrexian eyes get artifacted but they didn't. They're small. Mm. Small dudes. <laughs> They're not goblins online yet. They're not digitized. <laughs> they haven't went into the goblins online mode. Yeah. Yeah, so... I, I mean, I, I like the spice. I appreciate people trying new stuff. I think we have to wait and see in Pioneer. Like, random Gruel deck playing... Luca and Miglos and Thrun and T Nissa and Tyvarstan. I don't. I don't think any of these are like <laughs> the card that's making that deck successful. <laughs> we'll see if that sticks around. Um, I see you know people trying out Atraxa in their enigmatic decks and their creativity decks, and we'll definitely say more about that uh, in just a few days when we do our Atraxa episode. But yeah, I think a, a wait and see approach in Pioneer. Shale Drazidic, We talked about that showing up in Demir Control. Um, Nahiri and Mardu vehicles, that makes sense. Anything you want to say about the, the cat deck in Pioneer, whether that's pure cats or just the, the new takes on Colossus Hammer? The cat hammer one seems at least interesting. I, I don't know if it's good. I have seen a lot of I have seen a lot of talk about it. I'm just not sure if it's good. But I have seen a lot of people posting results, and it's the first time I see someone playing Kahira, like, fairly. So, can you complain about Kahira being played fairly? For once? Like a real Kahira? Well, like a main deck Kahira? No, no, Kahira is a companion for a real tribal deck that's actually trying to put a lot of creatures into play. <laughs> like, Kahira are working as a lord as intended, not just as an extra card to pitch to Force of Vigor. I don't hate it. So tell me about this cat deck. What are the actual cats when we play? So if I'm not mistaken, they are playing, of course, the four cats, the four new Kemba, the one that equips whenever a cat comes into play, which is the most important one, four of the one one with lifelink sacred cat, four hammers, four brimas, four cigarettes, Seed, four of the two mana one one double striker that also has eternalized for five or six mana, four squirrel, 
And then just Kahira, Bravery Elements, it's mostly a mono white with a soft red splash for sideboard and fighters class. So you're actually playing 16 cats, although eight of those cats come back from the dead. Yeah. So that's the sacred cats and the, bouncer. the adorned pouncer. Your Kemba is your, your new card that makes this all worth it. And then Brimaz, you know, now that you have an excuse, sure, Brimaz makes a lot of cats. Also, there has been a talk about a new pioneer deck that can combo from a really, really weird scenario. Is this related to cats? No, not at all. But I want to mention this before I forget, <laughs> because this is going to blow your mind. Because this is something that people have to brew with, but we haven't yet. No one has yet. But I sent this to someone, because I had to save it somewhere, because it was 4 a.m. when I spotted it. And I know damn well, if I didn't send it to someone, I would forget about it. Here we go. <laughs> this is Mord's mind working in real time. As we're explaining a cat deck, he's like, also, yeah, also <laughs> this 4 a.m. brew idea, we need to talk about it right now. All right. So we should talk about two Morita of the Frost and a saga called Harald Unites the Elves. No, no. Shutting this down. Yes, we need to. We don't need to talk about this. This sucks. <laughs> Do you know how it works? This is like a terrible combo in Kaldheim. No, 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 no. But here you can now win with, like, if you have two Morita in the graveyard and you play a Harald Unites the Elves, you win on the spot. No extra mana, just four mana. Because Harald returns an Elf or a Tybar. So you mill your whole deck with the two double bouncing Mirones or whatever the name is called. And then you get the three mana Tybar and you reanimate Tassa's Oracle. So chapter one of Harald Unites the Elves. All right, this is a four mana saga, two black green. Let's go, we got, we got it. <laughs> I just, for the sake of the listener, I'm going to actually finish this idea. <laughs> All right. And we're coming back to the cat deck. I'm not forgetting about that. You can't just derail the cat deck. This is the first cat deck in history, in pioneer history. And you want to like hijack it to talk about Morit of the Frost. This is shameful. Yes. And you call yourself a cat lover. My God, Mord. Oh my God. We're going to go back to cats. We're going to have a lot more cats. All right. Harold unites the elves. Two black green enchantment saga. Chapter one. Mill three cards. Then you may put an elf or a Tyvar card from your graveyard onto the battlefield. Okay. I did not realize this actually got back a Tyvar card. So this is actually a new new upgrade. I see what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah. That's the upgrade. That's the reason. Now you don't need like an extra card in your. This reduced the amount of cards you need to combo like exponentially. So chapters two and three are not really relevant for the combo. It's just you're just meeting chapter one over and over again. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. But chapter two puts counters on your elves, makes them bigger, and chapter three makes your elves destroy things when they attack. So it's like an okay value play. Moret of the Frost is a five mana changeling. Technically legendary, but it's allowed to copy any permanent. And it remains legendary, is that correct? Yeah. So that's important for making this combo work. So they start sucking each other. That's why you actually need two copies of Morit, because you need to have your first Morit copy the the saga, brings back the second Morit from the graveyard, then that comes in Legend Rules, one of the Morits, so they can keep bringing itself back. Is that more or less correct? Exactly. I'm trying to spell this card so I can actually look it up. Morite of the Frost, M-O-R-I-T-T-E. Okay, so it has Changeling. That's what allows Chapter 1 of Herald Unites the Elves to do this. 
So you get your one Herald Unites the Elves, you have your two Immorts in the graveyard, you do this loop. How does the loop end? So you're saying I mill my entire deck this way, and at that point my last my last saga, instead of getting a Moret, gets back a Tyvar card? Yes. The new Tyvar has a reanimation ability. It minus twos to bring back Thassa's Oracle. And Shasuendege. Alright, I guess I guess I guess Moroid is technically a cat, since it's a changeling, so that that's the segue. See? <laughs> this is a this is a cat combo. <laughs> the new cat combo. Perfect. This is the new truth. Yeah, but this deck went got surprisingly better with the fact you get a Tyvar that gets back a Sasa Oracle at the end. Now you only need one card in your hand and two in your graveyard. Nothing else. The deck was a zero to begin with and has gotten 10 times better than it was before. No, no, no. It was a 0.6 that got 10 times better and might be a six. Ah, okay. I mean, have you actually seen a list proposed that actually works or is this just a theoretical brew? Um, A friend played against it and had no idea what he was playing against when he got comboed on turn four on game two and then he just won on game three because he brought in four resting pieces. I mean, we'll talk about this uh, in our next episode when we talk about our Tyvar results. People play a lot of graveyard hate, and even though you don't think of Tyvar as a graveyard card, yeah, if you want to maximize Tyvar, it's going to involve reanimation, and their graveyard hate is going to be good against you. So, don't be surprised when your sweet Morit Herald of the United the Elves deck gets crushed by a placet of rest in peace. And not, e- not even rest in peace, just anything. Unlicensed hers, scavenging ooze. <laughs> An equal spell bomb. So that is a sweet combo that I don't think I would have ever come across. So I will grudgingly acknowledge that that was interesting. But with that being said, we can go back. Before we end for today, we can go back to cats for a minute before Dan kills me. We gotta give the cats their time, Mort. <laughs> so, cats. So the proposed list by Claudio has been that, as I said, 20 creatures, 16 out of which are cats, 4 out of which are Skrelled, because it's like a Keeper of Runes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have 4 Colossus Hammer, 4 Open the Armory, 4 Sigata Say, 3 Brave the Elements, 3 One of Equipments, 2 Oget, which, is our, which are Sword of Forge and Frontier, Mall of the Skyclay, 1 Shadow Spear, 21 Place, 1 Egancho. This is for a mono white shell. Your only equipments, ways to equip being Kemba and, Op- and Sigurd Asaid. Kemba being amazing in this specific shell because it's a f- choo-choo that gets the hammer on itself. Whenever a cat enters the battlefield, it gets a new hammer equipped and for five mana it makes a cat to get equipped. Fortune Frontier has been a surprisingly good sword according to Claudio as well. Oh, nice. So when I look at the deck list, half of the cards I recognize as trying to do the Colossus Hammer thing, sure. But what happens when you look at your opening hand and it's just a bunch of cats? Like I think you if the hand I think you mull as if you are playing a hammer time deck, and instead of Metalcraft, you have cats as your plan, as your requirement to equip, right? You are playing a hammer time deck, but you have cats instead of Metalcraft. You can't keep without Menmites or any totters, you can't keep without Kemba. I think it works in the same regard. So I, I shouldn't be tricked by a hand that's like, ooh, a scroll into an Adoran Pouncer into a Brimaz. No. Like a curve out, it's one, two, three. Unless you're playing against a... Maybe you have like a Cigara, say, no hammer, and three cats and three dance, and then you keep, right? Like, hmm. you go turn one creature, turn two creature, turn three Brimaz, turn four you play a Cigara, say, and you start threatening the hammer. Because you have like a bunch of tutors for it, so you might get it. I guess if you're playing Squirrel, you, you can't play Gator and their companions. <laughs> oh no, what a disaster. Oh no. Well, yeah. 
the more common deck that I thought was going to be more common was just like red white Boros Hammer with the uh, the turn two kill. I have seen a few red white shells as well. Yeah, exactly the cacophony scamp kill. I played against that deck. It didn't look very good. Um, I saw one player at five zero with it in the leagues, but it didn't make a much of a splash beyond that. Yeah. So there you're looking at cacophony scamp, fireblade charger, probably scroll for protection, and then uh, Kemba. As again, your way to equip the hammer that isn't terrible besides Garda's aid. Okay. I don't know. These decks are still like not not quite there. Hmm. But yeah, with that being said, I think that might be enough for us today. Yeah. As we have focused on the small changes in Modern and Pioneer bringing out point one, some not so tiny changes, some big ones, and we hope it's just the beginning. I hope so. Can't wait to see what week two brings. A lot of eyeballs with cats. If we count Moral of the Frost as a cat. So thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. <laughs> hope, to see, hope you're going to hear back from us in a few days. And have a lovely night. Bye-bye. Decklist for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in on Friday for new brews with Atraxa Grand Unifier, plus testing results with Tyvar Jubilant Brawler. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.